right, but I cannot uh, do it. I don't get my PowerPoint presentation, so I'm going to try to talk my way through it. This is uh, the origin and uh, evolution of concentrate. And concentrate, it's everything from dry sieve to a pure isolate. And it started, the, the history of cannabis last year, they finally realized where the plant was born. The plant was born 28 million years ago in a Tibetan plateau at the border of, uh, of China. And they know for a fact that the plant was six million years ago in Europe. But it took the, the plant almost five million years more to do a third of the of the road to get down to the tropical part of, uh, of China. And it went on the other side of the Himalaya almost six million years ago. It was on the other side of the Himalaya a little under 400,000 years ago. So that plant is a plant that was born in a high plateau of Tibet follow the migration of animals through the whole grassland of Central Asia and spread on the Mediterranean shore and deep inside Europe. And this is during the Ice Age. That means that the cannabis plant was from the Mediterranean shore to Tibet four million years before the first genus Homo moved from Africa and stepped feet in cannabis territory. And that's why we have never been able to really know the origin of the plant because it had moved so far back in time that it's pretty impossible to, uh, to find the origin of the plant without, they actually find the origin of the plant through the pollen of plants that live with uh, wild cannabis and humulus. The plant diverged from the hops family 28 million years ago there. But despite that the humulus is a plant that is pretty tropical, that plant developed to really live into those pretty desertic and dry country. Now, when you have access to that plant, most certainly our ancestors were looking for a food source. And for a nomadic tribe, seeds are very important because they have a long shelf life, they're super light, and they pack a lot of, uh, of nutrition. But if you touch the plant, you get sticky finger. So there is a very good chance that our ancestors, the first relation that they would have with a plant, it's a sticky, smelly, good smelling resin on their, on their finger. You have to realize that those people were master foragers. When you are naked, barehanded in two million years ago or so, 
And anything around you, the predator, it's a 500 uh, kilo beast. And any type of herbivore, it's uh, twice the size of those uh, cats. It's pretty difficult to, uh, to survive without really being able to use anything that nature gives you. And when they stepped into Asia, the, the first genus Homo, the plant has been growing there for four million years. There is a good chance that they would add even just trying to cut the plant with something that is really not really a cutting edge, you realize the fiber there is. So that plant must have been very attractive. The only thing that is different with the cannabis plant, I always thought that the cannabis plant was just psychoactive. And there is studies that show that actually the synthesis of transformation of CBGA into THC is not as old as the transformation of the CBGA into CBD. So that means that uh, that plant, before anything, was medicinal. But it may have changed by itself from moving from the high Tibetan plateau to the shore of the, of the Mediterranean Sea without humanity because there is new... How uh, is challenge, the plant may have started to produce different cannabinoids to be more appealing or uh, more resistant to, uh, to the life of the, in this new uh, territory. You have to also understand that those people were like really knowledgeable about botany. If you want to survive, you need to know the plant, you need to know animal behavior and you need to be able to use anything from nature that is a potential of, uh, of survival. And to, to create agriculture, you have to go through 200,000 plants, just the ones that give fruit and, uh, and grain. On those 200,000, there is a thousand or so that are edible there is a hundred or so that can be domesticated, and there is a dozen or so that are feeding 80% of the food we, we use today. Since 13,000 BC, we have not domesticated a new plant or a new animal. Those people were like amazingly connected with nature and very knowledgeable about it, and they could pass down that knowledge. And when you have such a precious knowledge, if there is only one dude in a tribe that got it, it's easy to lose. It must have been like a very knowledgeable tribe of people that could really hold that much knowledge and pass it down through thousands and thousands of, uh, of generations. They may have lived in caves. They may have had like maybe just two thirds of our brain power, but since we use only 10% of the size of what we have, it doesn't mean very much uh, in any case. So imagine those people, there is a good chance that they could define the different characteristics and quality of the plant. So now you have sticky finger. How long would it take you to go from sticky finger to caressing lightly the plant and 
sticking that finger, that resin all over your hand. This is the first concentrate ever made. This is live resin as its best. And it's the oldest methodology used by humanity to, uh, to collect resin. And if you were doing a classification of, uh, of concentrate, this would have its own category. It would be, a technique would be hand rubbed. The, the material would be live plant. The product would be charas, live resin. Okay? Then agriculture came because to go to the next stage of collecting resin gland, dry resin, sieving, you need a lot of plant at the same place. You need the ability to store and dry. And you need a tool made of perforation that is fine enough so that you can capture the best of those resin head and leave the plant material behind. So how long would it take somebody who wants to collect seed from a plant? You have to dry the plant before to collect the resin. So there is a good chance that trying to collect the plant, when you break the flower, there is a lot of snow coming down that you don't see the, the tricone gland by themselves, but you can see that cloud of, uh, of gland falling down. And at the same time, you have sti it's sticky. How long would it take them to relate that what's falling down when they are sieving and separating the seeds from the, from the plant material, it's actually that sticky resin that they touch in a, in, on a live resin. You don't need to have like a, a big stretch of mind to, uh, to connect the, the dot. But to be able to collect that dry resin, you need a certain level of technology and it's more importantly you need so the field, the, the way to dry and the material to, uh, to sieve. The material to sieve on a silk road, cotton was born in Pakistan 7,000 years ago, silk was born in, uh, in China at least 6,000 years ago and the oldest evidence of uh, a woven material, it's 28,000 years old, and it's somewhere around the, the Caucasus uh, mountain. So for humanity to have had the ability to have a tool to separate really truly the, the plant material to the tricone head can go back even before agriculture, before the birth of agriculture, people become sedentary before agriculture was really born. Because before that they were living, when you come back often on the same place and your favorite food or your favorite plant is broken down and used in that territory and you don't destroy everything, Every year when you come, there is more and more and more of exactly that type of agriculture, of products that will become an agricultural product. It's like 
they were unconsciously domesticating the plant and the, the specific ones that were the more appealing to, to, their, to their taste. And cannabis was at the beginning of, the, uh, of that. The use of it have been going from the beginning. The oldest semi-sedentary place actually are in Afghanistan. So it's like we may have been dry sieving cannabis resin for over 50,000 years. When you dry sieve, you need to dry and cure the plant. There is no producing country that collects the resin gland until the plant has been dried and cured over three to nine months. Only in Afghanistan, certain places, they dry sieve the plant as soon as they are dry, but they load goat skin full of that resin and they let it cure underground in some type of underground chamber, chamber for over a, a period of six months. Then they press it and, uh, and they make ash. But it's, there is no other place where they would sieve the plant just after drying. They, there is always that period of time of curing. They don't know what is curing. They cannot explain you why. But if, when you ask, it makes good resin or it makes better resin. They, they know the result, but they don't know the science behind. So when you, when you sieve, it has, it's always dry material and you separate through perforation of, a, of your tool. And most of the time in producing country, what defines the quality of the product is the cleanliness of your resin. There is a lot of limitation when you dry sieve because you work with the material that is brittle. And that material you agitate, stronger and stronger and stronger. So the stronger you agitate, the more contaminant you, uh, you get. And this defines the grade of, of quality that, uh, that you find in producing country. So if I had a chart, this would be the second technique. The methodology is dry sieving. The end product, it's loose resin head. Those loose resin head that are pressed into a mass that is called ashish. And it's pretty interesting to know that there is no ash producing country in the world that do not press their ash before smoking. Nobody does it. And if you ask, it's because it's not so good. And because ashish is better. Pressing resin with the source of it, it's something that has been done for millennium and in every producing country. So there is, there is, it's impossible for a methodology to, to survive in 10 years if it's not really on point. Imagine a text that can survive millennium in every producing country with the people that literally invented the, the game. And when you crush those membranes that you collect, it's very much like crushing a grape to make wine. You need the matrix that created the sugar and the juice to make the wine. 
to make hashish, you need to have the matrix that created the terp and the cannabinoid to have a transformation and create a product that is definitely not those loose resin heads that you receive. And it's very important to, uh, to understand that. I, I'm going to give you as an analogy, the best is alcohol. In all alcohol beverage, and I'm going to take only the grape as a, as a sample fruit, you can make many different types of alcohol by using the juice of the grape until you even make pure alcohol. But you cannot make wine if you don't have the skin and the flesh of the, of the grape to, uh, to create the chemical reaction that create wine. Well, hashish is very much like that. It is pretty unique into the whole concentrate uh, world. But at the same time, it is important also to realize that every one of these concentrates are so different that you cannot compare them. There is not one better than the other. You wouldn't compare a great cognac with a great whiskey. You may prefer cognac and do not like whiskey, but you will never ever make a, comp uh, a comparison or a competition because they're not the same. And in the cannabis industry, this is something that we have totally lost. You cannot appreciate the other, the competition product because you feel that is a competition and you need to be able to be greater than that other product that has actually nothing to do with what you are. And it's really, that's why it's important to try to make classification of methodology of collecting loose resin head and the whole different methodology of actually taking the resin from the matrix that created it. It's like very much like taking the juice from a fruit. You don't compare the juice to the fruit. It's come from the same tree, but it's, it becomes very different. So now, because we, I have water, there is a new category into sieving. I use water as a tool to agitate. Water brought in a game of sieving the only evolution seen in millennium. There has been evolution in the tool, but there has never been an evolution in the methodology itself. Dry sieving is agitation, so that you break the resin gland from their, uh, from their stock, but at the same time that you do that, you have a separation on your tool through the meshes of the tool, through the perforation so that it's two process in one methodology that you cannot separate and control. When you bring water into the, uh, into the play, not only you don't have a brittle material anymore, you can rehydrate it. That means that when that material is rehydrated, it's supple. You cannot make contaminant. You cannot really, you can open it, but you cannot make those small contaminants that you make when you're, when you're dry sieving. And Mila, when she created this bag, she literally separated the two processes. Now I can 
do my agitation in my machine and I could create my machine because Mila gave me the ability to separate those two processes. So now I can agitate in a chamber that is absolutely perfect for agitation and my bags are not a collection bags. Those bags are my tool that do the separation. That's where I really, you need to move your resin forcefully with water so that every grain, every gland goes over those perforation. And anything that is not, for me the 45, anything that is not 45 is going to be pushed forcefully through the bag. It's very much like carding, but instead of having uh, a stretch material that become, that has a cutting edge to it and a card that is pretty much cutting, I use, the bag is like a trampolino and my fan of water is made of millions of little droplets that create crater in my, uh, in my resin at the same time that I push. So that if I make a mistake doing my agitation, any contaminant can be pushed away through the, because I can maximize those two process, the quality of what I receive, it's unreal. But collecting the resin head, it's not really the, it's like collecting grape, but you cannot judge the ripeness of the resin head. It's not the color, it's not the size. A grape, when you take a cluster, and you want to make great wine, you, cu you, uh, you cut out anything that is a little green, you can see through the coloring and the, uh, how the, the cluster is made, what is really ripe or not. You cannot define how much resin is formed in a, in a resin head by looking at it by the size of, of, of the color. And because I use water, I don't have the limit anymore of qualities defined by cleanliness. Now quality is becoming ripeness of the resin, how much resin is formed inside. And I was stuck for a while because I had, I had no ability to separate what I was collecting through different levels of ripeness until I come into, a, I read a, a scientific paper where they explain that actually a resin gland is made like a fruit. Between the resin gland and the stalk, there is a part that is called an abscission that becomes smaller and smaller and smaller the riper the resin head is. And to the point that it falls by itself when it's ripe. That changed my game totally. Because now I'm not looking at a plant where what I want to collect is microscopic and I cannot even see it. Now I can imagine a fruit tree because it's made like a fruit. So if I look at a fruit tree, how do I get to the ripe, ripest fruit? You go to the tree, you touch and smell. That I cannot do. But if I shake the tree just a tiny bit, I got those ripest, that ripest dimension that fall. Then I shake a little harder and harder and harder and I shake my tree until there is no more fruit on the tree. And the power I put into my shaking 
and the increment I use for my shaking define the fineness of the dimension of ripeness that I'm looking. But what I collect, it's 45 to 160. Everything, like that wall tree doesn't matter, the color doesn't matter, the size. That amount of abscission that was retaining that specific ripeness of resin heads, they are all gonna fall with the same amount of power. And it brought me to a point where I can literally tell you to the day how early or how late you have harvested your, uh, your resin. Now with that water, I can do live resin. I can go to the field and put the, uh, the plant directly into it. I can do live resin but frozen because if I do only live resin, my window of opportunity is pretty small. I'm not going to do more than maybe three farms a season and they have to give me genetics that really finish at different time of the, of the season that I'm being able to work the stuff in between. When you freeze the material, you bust it badly because you're, you're transforming 80% of water in ice, that is 10% more of a mass. You literally explode from the inside out the, the plant has a molecular level. But at the same time, it's like cauterizing a scar. When you cut the plant and I do live, it's bleed. I can clean it, but it bleed more and more the, uh, along the wash that I do. When you have that cauterize, there is no bleeding whatsoever. You just need to be able to clean your material before the, the plant material starts to melt. And then you're really in a safe zone. So now I'm still sieving, but I can do live resin, fresh frozen, dried and cure. And I'm still doing, so it's a, it's a new methodology in sieving. I call that ice water sieving. The, the product is loose resin head, the same than dry sieving. I press this traditional way, so I, uh, I cannot really call it traditional ash, even if for any traditional ash uh, guy it looks exactly the same, it wouldn't make the difference. I call that ice water ash, so that there is a little uh, comprehension. And this is how far as it goes to uh, capture the wholeness of the entourage effect of that protective system that the plant produce. Then you pass into the domain of extraction. Then you take the resin from its matrix. You take the juice from the fruit. And the simplest take, I thought it was simple, it's rosin. You use pressure and heat to be able to liquidify the, um, the resin inside the gland and through a filtering uh, mesh, capture only the, the resin. And I really thought that there were no science behind that type of tech and I have been proven wrong really hardcore. 
if you really understand tricon cannabinoid how they form into each other and how they react to it and uh, you can you can make stuff happen you can create pure thca you can make you can separate terpene and uh, and cannabinoid which they, they do actually naturally and uh, and do diamond it's like the the problem here you don't have a culture of resin it's all the old schools that were smoking lebanese afghan my uh, my generation and then you have been like cut out of the rest of the world and you've been growing your uh, your flower it's it's actually the BHO that brought concentrate into the into the scene here and everything that has been done by other product it's always been looking at what is coming next from the uh, from the BHO extractor and when you use BH butane it's the ultimate tool to capture the most volatile terpene in uh, in a perfume industry so it's like it's one of the most amazing tools to be able to separate and capture compound it's the, uh, one of the ultimate uh, tool and they have been creating product after product and everybody has been following that even the solventless when nikati started to put solventless on the market it's something that had to resonate for people who were smoking uh, BHO. So it had to leave nothing or as little as possible on, um, on an air. It had to, to be loaded at least with 60-70% cannabinoid. And the advantage at that time, it was more terpier. And it looked pretty much similar. Even the name ice wax and stuff, it's like it's basically a fit into the door into that door that open to that concentrate world. And it worked. But then you have the, that evolution of solventless when you start to extract from your solventless. And the new products that were created again there are still following the cutting edge of the of the BHO uh, extraction stage. And it's a culture that is really unique to you. It doesn't exist in, a, in, a, in the rest of the, of the world. But then we, we come into, when I go back to the alcohol, you come into, now you, we are doing distillation of the what's that matrix that you have left behind as produced and as much as you lose that integrity and nourishment and everything that you can say about what you leave behind you enter new territory where you can do a lot of different products that are all really really amazing the the non the non solvent extraction 
you have to add CO2 actually, it's considered a, a non-solvent and cryogenic that I have never really tried. I've seen a few stuff, but it, it looks a bit, uh, a bit strange. It looks like very white uh, powder, like a, a white resin gland, but I don't know, it's, it's like dry. It's like cryogenic, it's making you lose something. And then we enter the, the world of the butane extraction. And even when you do BHO, you cannot compare uh, a butter to a sauce or it's like every one of those products, it's like a different alcohol made with the same fruit. But even when those alcohol are made from the same fruit, there is no real competition between because they are very different products. And if we don't really get conscious of this, it's, we don't support each other. We compete between each other. When there is no competition, we're all into the concentrate world. You know what I mean? And I wish I've, I've had the, the picture to, uh, to show you, but it's like that plant was on a continent that we live on four million years before us. And it has supported human being civilization since that time, most certainly. In my book, I'm trying to, uh, to find hot spot where, so you have the plants that move with the animal towards Europe, and then you have the people that follow those animals back towards the uh, toward Tibet and, uh, and China. So then you, if you I look at Homo erectus, site of archaeological sites, then I looked at Neanderthal and then Homo sapiens, and then they have a whole genome where it's not archaeological, they could find the, get the DNA of remain and they could, uh, checking the, the DNA of today's uh, people, they could find the source of everything, much better than archaeological site. And it makes you hot point of evolution of humanity. And then over that, I want to put cannabis hotspots that Robert Clark uh, did in his book, where like you have the center of cultivation and wild cannabis, and see how those hotspots fit in each other, and hopefully they fit into ash-producing country. Then I can talk about ash. <laughs> but it's like that movement from the plants through all Central Asia towards the Mediterranean Sea, that's the land of Ashish, that the whole ancestral culture is there. The problem is there is nothing about ash until the 10th century in a, a, on this, on this, a medical uh, treatise, uh, and then it appears a little bit more in uh, poetry and stuff like that. Before that, there is nothing about cannabis raising. A lot about the plant, nothing about cannabis raising. It's a blank. It's like uh, you smoke the flower, it has never been sticky ever.
and uh, that will be my uh, my next stage. Is that the story? <laughs> it's hard when you don't have the because uh, it's like I wanted also to uh, I when I have the slide, I can show you that abscission, and I can explain you that if you think that you can def define the peak ripe the peak of a flowering cycle of the plant which is the main metabolism of the plant by looking at what the plant produces to protect itself that produce secondary metabolism it has nothing to do with the main metabolism the amount of resin that is formed inside the resin head is totally dependent on that peak flowering cycle of the flower. But as long as you cannot look inside those resin head to see how much resin is formed, it's pointless to look at the coloring of those glands or the size or the density. It's at the flower that you have to, uh, to look at. And that's one of the biggest misinformation there is in this industry. Because if you look at the botany of the plant, you cannot judge one metabolism by another metabolism, even if it's the plant producing it. You know what I mean? It's like when I take those resin glands, I can tell you a lot about what happened to that, uh, to that plant. If I, if I, if I work genetic from Swami, even if it's genetics that Gene did, what I get from Swami Garden, I get, he has a signature test. Leo has a signature test. Gene, I can recognize, doesn't matter the genetic, if it's grown in his place by him, it's like, it's inside that terpene profile that the plant produces. You know what I mean? But, it's your growing flower, you're not growing resin head. I, talking to about that to you, it's a bit different because most of you actually don't look at the resin head to define the... But most people growing indoor, that's the name of the game. And if you grow a plant full sun in a shade, in a greenhouse or indoor, uh, it's gonna, the coloring is going to change drastically but nothing else. It's the amount of UV rays that the gland receives that change the coloring. And according to science, at 80% amberness per gland, there is no degradation of the, of the cannabinoids. There is still formation of the THC, uh, of the CBGA into THCA. So it's like, there is, there is a lot about coloring that has colored the reality of, uh, of what the plant uh, produces. So if you have questions. Yeah, no.
no, that's a, that's a myth. And I, I wasn't sure until I touched high CBD uh, resin and since I was starting to make AMP uh, workshop in Europe to be able to, uh, to go into more places, I could experience myself. <coughs> It's not, the, uh, it's not the percentage of cannabinoid inside the resin that changes the quality of the resin. I've, uh, I've made a 52% CBD, 1.9 THC, 2.6 CBC, and 0.8 delta uh, 8 uh, ash in, uh, in Switzerland with a plant that was 17, 18% CBD and 0.7 THC. And the stuff was taffy, like you don't, uh, you know only when you smoke. And it's interesting because smoking CBD, CBD ash, it's like having all your pain in your body that melt away. And people telling you that you don't get high from smoking pure CBD, well, you do because it's like that well-beingness, it's like you feel it in the, if you feel something in your body, your head is part of your body, you're really feeling it. It's not, uh, so it's like, it's, I'm pretty actually fascinated by it and I would really like to go further and discover all those different uh, 28 to 1, uh, 15 to 1, 10 to 1, and, and, see, and, and see, I mean, it's a whole new territory. I, I was just making ash before. Now I can make uh, different ash with different cannabinoids. The fact that I know how they form each other, that I teach myself that, I can even manipulate it. That 1.9% uh, THC, it makes it impossible to work in the market. But that 1.9% THC, I can make it THC, I can make it CBN, just by using it. It's not a big deal, you know what I mean? Even using a fucking uh, boiling water in a bottle. If it's like it's only temperature and, uh, and time. So it's like, even if you have a tiny bit of, uh, of THC uh, over that 0.3 or point whatever limit there is, you can actually make a pure CBD ash that you could export worldwide, as long as you have a high CBD strain to, uh, to start with. And uh, you have that type of stuff. This is another market altogether. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like it's like if you uh, what, what is the different expression of the plant indoor or outdoor? Outdoor, the plant control every microbe, everything going indoor, the feeding, la la la. The plant control it, and outside all the step, all the stuff, it's to be able to manipulate everything around. It can kill other plants. It's like it's pretty vicious, actually. It can the plant kingdom have twenty thousand natural compounds at its disposition to do stuff, from the most toxic to the most beneficial and everything in between. 
So it's that expression that the plant offer from the outside, you cannot mimic it. It doesn't mean that you don't have great indoor and you cannot make great ash with it. The problem indoor, there is time, time schedule, okay? If, if anybody, even if somebody do greenhouse and I don't even ask anymore, do, did you harvest in time? Because everybody does me yes. That's the, always the answer. But if I ask somebody, how many harvests do you do a year? If you do more than four, I cannot make ash with you. You're cutting corner. That two weeks change everything because there is a weird things happening. And that's something that I, I want to, uh, I'm supposed to be a speaker at Canatech in Tel Aviv in front of a bunch of big time scientists. And it's like, I feel comfortable in my knowledge and stuff, but pff, so the deal is, I want to ask them question of when, because I can tell you to the, I, I can tell you to the day when it's ripe or not, because in those two last week of, uh, of the plant uh, flowering cycle, two weeks early, you can have flowers that give you 28% THC, that give you a shitload of trichon, but when you dry them, they're so light that you're afraid to throw them in, uh, in the air, you're, uh, they're not going to fall down. And the closer you come to that three days peak window, the more resin is formed inside. That means that you can have cannabinoid formed inside your resin head, but literally no resin. But I mean no, re no resin, you don't bloody rosin the stuff. There is nothing coming out. And it's like uh, the, uh, the ash must have been like, I don't know, in the 60s, I didn't check the ash, the, the flower were uh, lab tested. It does affect something. Me, I need those resin head. Doesn't matter the sickness of the membrane, that's tropical or Hindu Kush mountain type, you know what I mean? It changes on a, on a melt, uh, but it doesn't, the amount of resin formed inside has nothing to do with the, the main uh, characteristic of the tricon head in itself. No, I mean it's it's easier to work with a, with a thicker membrane. Uh, it's, it's easier to work with a, a, a OG or a Kush than a, a, an African or a, a Nigerian or a, a tropical South American. But the amount of resin it's defined by when you harvest it. And I would have always thought that you have the cannabinoid, if you have the cannabinoid, you have the resin that is formed. It's like, technically speaking, you have the, the per, uh, precursor of terpenes that are fed, the underbelly of the, of the resinate transforms those precursor into terpene, then it bound with the phenol, it goes through a little membrane, 
and it fill up another uh, another uh, pocket, and the bigger, the fuller that uh, big uh, that smaller pocket, the, the smaller the one that that feed it. But I thought that when this happens, those cannabinoids that are formed, I mean, it's part of, resin was part of the. So that's one of the questions I want to uh, to ask those people because I can really tell you to the date when you have really nothing inside, you're two weeks and over. Then let's say somewhere around a week, your first sample ball would press okay, polish nice that you don't have a crack anything. It wouldn't ooze resin, but it would look pretty good. The second time, the second one, you would have a little bit harder time to, to be able to really make it that there is no crack. The third one, you, uh, you're not going to be able to make a, it will make a pancake, but not really perfect, and there is no way you can make a temple ball. Then the, the next wash, because every time it's a different dimension of, uh, of ripeness, every one of those shakes. Uh, it, you, you cannot even make a pancake. And then you reach the stage where there is nothing melting under your bottle. That's somewhere around a week. And then the closer you come, the fuller it is. And some, when you harvest it really at the right time, from my first wash to the last wash, it's like super melty. It's not full melt. But uh, it's like the shiny temple ball. I, I don't polish those balls. It's literally the resin oozing out of that temple ball. And sometimes it just suck it in because there is not enough. There is no, like the membrane, for example, uh, like we were saying, are a little bit too thick. So you need more resin inside to deal with, to, uh, with uh, foreign matter, but basically it's going to be digested into that mass of resin. That's why when you age the ash, sometimes it, it becomes super gooey and uh, because there is a, uh, like wine, it's like there is something happening with all those different compounds together and uh, it really transforms. Like actually, you have 50 compounds in traditional ash that do not exist in the plant material, dry or live. It's like that whole process of making traditional ash, you create 50 plus super rare compounds that they, they do in laboratory and, uh, and stuff. So it's really a very, very different material that, uh, that you have. When you go into the extraction, well, you go even further than, uh, than that. It's still the plant, it's still the power of the plant, but it's not quite the same. No, I, yeah, I don't think you should even compare them. It's like the plant show it to you. You cannot really grow well plants that are breeded indoor, outdoor, and vice versa. It's another, the, it's a plant evolution. The plant want to survive. The more they procreate, the more place you give them, the better it is. And if we add prohibition for another thousand years, 
well, it will be a, almost a subspecies like uh, Ruderalis uh, sativa and indica plants that are totally adapted only to the to the indoor. You know what I mean? So it's it's a bit difficult to uh, to compare. And now there is a lot of people who grow no-till and uh, like living uh, living soil more and more indoor. The problem is the light. I, I, I do know somebody who has a plasma light, though. It's always pressed. Every producing country, it's pressed. So uh, I've seen that a lot in India. I've not seen, I've not been uh, in Morocco. They don't do it. In Pakistan, I didn't really stay too long because it was pretty heavy. And in India, but all of those countries, they bury it underground. But I am not sure if it's only because it's a nice place to uh, bury it, the temperatures are stable, or it's also um, like a safety uh, against uh, police and stuff like that. In India, they always bury it. They, they have to pack really nicely the, the resins and they put them into a big metal container and they put it on the ground. The oldest I smoked in uh, like that was eight years old. The oldest ash I smoked was 12. From Minjin, he had a 12 years old. That must be uh, 17 now. And uh, in Nepal, a royal Nepalese temple ball. And the stuff was like, as is. In, uh, in Kathmandu, in a house with no window, uh, glass, it's like it's the tropic and the, Ima and the high Himalaya. Like the weather is wicked. The change of temperature, humidity, you name it. And the dude at that ball on his temple for 12 years, his dad made it. And it looked like, you know, a, a, a rock, a black rock in a, in a river polished by water. It's black, but it's dull and a little grayish. It didn't look really much like, uh, like ash. My English was very poor. And the guy English was not so great either. So there is a limit of what I understood. I, I understood that it was from his dad. And uh, he was breaking it because some, something about his dad. And when he broke it, in India, there is often, you don't see it, you, uh, you're on your knee, half, uh, half sitting. The rooms are never really big, and uh, in, uh, in Nepal, even more so, and often a, a small roof. And you know, when, when somebody's doing something, you're really curious about it, you're, you're, you're really gonna come close to it. And the guy was making a bunch of little holes all over, and then it looked at me, I fucking remember, like sometimes I, I have goose pimple to think about the shock. And he broke that under my nose. It's like, he put me on my butt, but it's like, not just, it like 
push me literally on my butt the place reeked in a matter of a shit second and and then when I looked inside that was I had never seen that much charas at that time was really the beginning where I saw and uh, and rub stuff and inside it was like you know those rock that you break and you have all the crystal inside but like small caviar purple burgundy weird color like and I I don't remember the buzz but I will always remember like being I had never been punched by terpen like violent in the nose and I had never seen something like shiny and and beautiful like that because it it the, the royal I do temple ball as a homage to that technique imagine when you use a resin to protect your resin so in India every charas is made by by hands that you do two three a day it's a few grams every time depending on the quality you're making so they take all those little pieces and they make a ball of it like a pretty big ball it was at least 70 grams or some shit like that and they they make it to a point where there is not a blemish not a, the density is perfect and equal inside there is not a crack nothing and then when they have that perfection they roll it i'm not sure on what and i don't sure how but they roll it to a point where they literally fuse outside layer of that ball and it become hard like like an eggshell, but like uh, ostrich uh, eggshell. It's a millimeter or, or so in, uh, in thickness. And, and that's, all, that's all the packaging they need. And the dude, you, can, uh, you could keep this literally uh, protected from the rain outside and come back 10 years later, the stuff is going to be... <coughs> it's like, that's why it's like, when you don't when you don't have the, the culture of, of the ash it's very uh, difficult to understand how amazing it is to uh, to have figured it out i mean it's something you cannot see to understand that the power is in the resin guys 15 years ago you were throwing your trim away if i have to remember <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it's crazy to be able to invent that game when there is nothing to guide you but that relation with the plant. Uh, it's like uh, maybe they were actually getting direction for the plant. If it's, a, it's like they, they, they were spirits, they were talking to those plants. It's because we don't have the ability that it maybe even sounds funny but uh, there is a lot of uh, stuff that the plant can feel. They were on earth a long time before us. And those people, they were not, they didn't have the technology, but like, imagine what you, the, the, the number of book on plant that you have in your head to be able to create even just 100 plants all the aspect of 100 plants that you can pass down to the next generation, it's already huge. When you have 200,000 of them, 
over a span of million years, those people brain containment chamber, today we call that a library or a computer. We, we have access to so many data that we don't store nothing. Those people, it was all about storage and being able to give it to the next generation, otherwise you, uh, you wouldn't survive. And it's, uh, that's why the people that grow, that are the closest connected to the plant they grow, doesn't matter the plant, that those are the ones that stand out, like uh, that guy who grows lavender in south of France, Everybody grow lavender around you, it's a mecca of lavender. There is only him that grow lavender like that because his connection, his symbiosis with that space and that plant is so unique that uh, you cannot duplicate it literally. And the cannabis plant is basically that go between, it's like the, the Rosetta Stone so that we, uh, we could read Egyptian like. If we, if we can relearn the language of the plant, uh, cannabis would certainly be the, uh, a, a translator type of, you know what I mean? I, I cannot, I cannot, I don't have the science behind aging. I have smoked from fresh ash to 12 years old and everything in between. I've seen it transform many, 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 many times. So I know for a fact that resin get greater through time. Not all uh, cultivar would give you that but many, many, many of them. It's, I don't know the process behind what is happening. It's like in 1800 when we had been making wine for 8,000 years, but they still didn't know the fermentation process. When they learned the fermentation process, they could create the bottle, the cork, everything, the, the barrel, every, all the tools to manipulate that chemical reaction. I don't have that. And uh, it's very difficult to find a place with the tool to do, to do that. I need to be able to test uh, the dry resin before I press, to test it just after pressing, to leave a temple ball over a period of one, two, three years, and having somebody dig inside every month or so and define the transformation, but I don't want, I want everything. I want really like to know that chemical reaction and all the labs that can do that, it's Israel uh, or the, uh, anything that is governmental and, uh, and medical. And it's very difficult to be able to, uh, to do a project like that, even if it's cutting edge, never done, it's too much on a, on a wild side. <laughs> on the THC side. Outside you guys? 
uh, outside the genetic from, uh, from the Emerald Triangle, India. In India, in, uh, you, you go at 10,000 feet, basically, uh, between, between 7 and 10,000 feet. You roam the, the mountain on a ranch where you have a good sun. You have wild cannabis plants that have been growing there for over 300,000 years. This is the most beautiful stuff I ever touched in my life. <laughs> and the, the, it's like everything is it's insane. But it's like, because it's like, the resin must be great, but because of the experience collecting on your bare hand the resin, it, it's like it's more than the actual potency of the of the resin you collect. There is that whole experience that make it, it's, it's a, if, to compare it, it's like growing your own vegetable and eating them, they taste better. So that whole experience is very much enhanced by living in a wild, in a jungle, and you have to move from patch to patch, and you have your hands that you need to keep absolutely clean. It's super steepy, there is fucking bear and shit, it's like, it's crazy, and that experience make everything, that raising like super, super special. And otherwise, after it's here. Here, it's like you're, you're killing me. It's crazy. Because all my life, I only had six flavors, basically. Moroccan, Lebanese, Middle East, like Turkey, Iran or so, Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan, and India, Nepal. In India, you have more of a little variety. It's, uh, it's not really a pinpoint uh, terpene profile. Otherwise, the, the terpene profile change, uh, but it's more dependent on the quality. The higher the quality, the more on point and beautiful your terpene profile is. But you can, you recognize you don't uh, close eyes, you have no problem making a difference between the country. Now, every time I, uh, I get a strain from you guys that I have never experienced, it's like stepping in a new producing country. I have never made that ash, and for me, a new ash is associated to a country, not to genetic, it's new for me, basically, this, you know, most of my life, that different terpene profile, different that I wanted, that I needed to go to make the season in that country if I wanted that terpene profile. So it's like you, what you bring me, uh, it's, uh, it's beyond a dream. I would have never even imagined in a million years that I could make ash that tastes like uh, banana chiclets. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or strawberry. It's like some. It's like. You, you, it's like biting it and when you let age it's like it becomes like a brandy like there is a, a boozy undertone that uh, that come to it no it's like uh, you would have to uh, if i it's like as much as i love you and i'm ready to fight a lot for you i uh, I live a life where uh, it's very difficult for me to, uh, to take responsibility. It's only be my, uh, my wife and my daughter. Because of the way you brought me in and you are my second tribe, my first tribe was 
the people I live in when I was traveling. And it's a very specific, it's you, but nomadic, basically. And it's very intense, it's very special, it's very uh, exclusive. And then I became a dad and I live for 20 years in a straight people, where you really cannot say anything much about uh, who you are. So the first time when I came at the, in the Emerald Triangle, it, I fucking tried the fucking wall <laughs> Emerald Cup. It was like a shock to be able to, I was home. It's like, like being in the mountain of the Himachal Pradesh. It was trippy. It was not there, but everything else was. And then you, the way you took me in, so I feel responsibility toward you but not because I love you dearly, it's because you have a potential that is fucking mind-blowing. I've been in many places. I met Ash and I've seen a lot of resin. It's like you stand out worldwide for the diversity and the quality of your genetic. And most of it, you hide it, you go and bloody grow purple punch and wedding cake all day long, all of you when you have treasure trove to put on the market. It's like your value, it's that heritage of genetics that you have created through the last three generations, literally. It's like, that's why I'm here. I love you to death, but it's like that stuff I've never seen. I've seen a lot of good stuff, but I have never seen that. And in my eyes, you are the Bordeaux and the France of the cannabis industry. You're the only place in the world that is recognized worldwide for its quality, except for that little valley I, I was going in uh, in India. If you check up, if you Google Malana Cream, this is one of the most remote valley and village ever. Everybody in the world knows they make the best charas in the world. And Because of this, you have, you're the only one on the planet to actually have the right to appellation. They don't give you the time of the day if you don't have a world recognition for your region. Then when you have a world recognition for your region, they want to come and see the region and define the terroir in a, in a region. So technically speaking, if California watered down what is actually an appellation, it's going to become meaningless. An appellation, it's a dedication to quality. And it's given only when you have proven that quality through a world recognition. So you could break the ground for every other part of California and the West Coast and, uh, and America, but it cannot start outside that starting point, the Emerald Triangle. And it's not that you have to do the same than the French and what is done in Europe. What you have to do is something that is so bomb, so on point, that like the French did, everybody that's going to come into the quality market is going to use all your standards all your hierarchy, everything that you have created to, to create their own. It's going to be yours with a different language. 
so that 200 years later, basically, the French, they don't need to make the best wine. We don't produce that much, but the little we, uh, we produce, it will always stay at the highest price, and we will always be relevant because we made that game. Everything is made by the French. If you want to be relevant in 200 years in the cannabis industry, you have that ability because nothing is done. And there is, it's here where there is the most science, the most knowledge, the most diversity, and the highest quality. Just saying. I, uh, with my 50-gallon machine that is coming, I, uh, anybody, anytime, we do it next to each other, I show you that I can take 70% more tricon from my plant, cleaner than you. It's not that it's bad to do, don't get me wrong, huh? it's not that it's bad to do it, but if I do and, I cannot control my shaking my tree. So already I don't really like it. Uh, if you take the time, you do it in a, in a white uh, metal container so that you have like a lot of water to agitate your trim. You don't put too much trim inside and you do it at least half a dozen times from five minutes the first time to a good 20 minutes after. Yeah, it works, but... I mean, you, uh, you, uh, you, like, uh, you like intense kind of, uh, you know? <laughs> no, it's, like, it's super simple. It's a good way to make high quality uh, without having too much. But I, I rather uh, get a five-gallon uh, washer and, uh, and work with a, a five-gallon washer. That vortex, it really... It's very much like laying down in a river. You have like that, you feel the power of the water, but it's only a, 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 a gentle massage. That's what that vortex of water does. It brushes powerfully, but gently, the tricon head from the, of the, the stock. I leave 2% cannabinoid in my trim. I've been flipping out for three years what to do with my trim, ask, uh, ask Swami. What to do with my trim, like uh, I don't really want to do ethanol, I don't want to do an extraction, but I was thinking to make uh, paper with it. I, I, mean, uh, I went through a lot of shit. Finally, uh, a few weeks back, I thought, oh, maybe I should actually test it. And so I put like four or five different washes together. I send it to the lab. I have a, a tiny bit over 2%. They, they leave 1% on, uh, with ethanol. It's like, whoa. Okay, no, I don't, now I don't worry too much. I can, uh, I can compose. That's the difference between, uh, between it and the production-wise. Huh?
when when you do that sun grown nature does it for you it gets colder it gets uh, you know what i mean it's like the the plant produces tricon for two reasons there is two different level of production first it produces a lot of tricon very close to the flower because it's a wind pollinated plant so the more pollen that's going to stick to that flower the more chance to uh, to have seedling and there is a second expression of terpen it's to protect the plant from heat and uh, and cold and to do that they produce those long stock uh, resin head when you have a lot of them really close to each other it makes a roof under that roof the, the stock of those uh, tricon there is a co uh, an airflow a corridor that really protect and this is natural outdoor and the rougher the condition the more you're gonna you're gonna get it even snow on it and stuff like that like trigger it like crazy when you grow indoor because it's a, a triggering system that creates that you don't need to flip the plant you just need to increase a little bit your heat and make it a little bit colder at night by stage like maybe three four days the plant is gonna oh oh it's getting colder it's like they need they, they're gonna be triggered and they're gonna start producing it you don't need to flip her out you just need to let the plant know that it the temperature change are happening and it's time to uh, to build up the uh, the protection and there is also products i have Earth that I can actually trigger that in a, in a plant. I don't have the name in my head like that. You would have to uh, to email me. I can uh, I can give it to you. It, it's something that can be triggered by organic element that you uh, you give the plant. The more insect the more the plant is going to produce stuff to protect itself from the insect anything that makes the plant think that there is danger around it's going to produce if you're indoor leave a male in a room because so the plant is wind pollinated produce resin da, 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 she's waiting and all good and then it's like time is passing time is passing nobody is coming they make more because to be sure that whatever comes they they get and the because you do sensemia they're flipping out all the way to the end of their life it's like they cannot reproduce that's why sometimes they earn because they go in they can re they uh, they can do it uh, themselves so that's the ultimate uh, system of security of the of survival for uh, for them if you put a male in your uh, in your room or in your uh, in your greenhouse all the females they know there is a male there so they're going to get even more excited because nothing is happening but they know there is a dude inside and something should be happening you know what i mean and little trick like that it all depends the condition you uh, 
you have. So you have to play with stuff like that when you, it, it like doesn't matter what you do with the plant because those resin add at what the plant produces to protect itself, I can read a lot from it. But you as a farmer, if you collect those resin head and you start reading it, then you know the main metabolism of your plant and you can read what the plant did to actually deal with everything that is around her. And you get even greater, like Jean, some of the best breeder I know, they're pretty damn good ash maker too. And some of the best farmer I know, uh, growing flower, they're really, really good at uh, making ash too. It's like, it really, it's not quite the same. It's very, it's, uh, it's two different metabolisms that express that, uh, that whole plant. It's, uh, as a farmer, the more you know about the resin on your, on your plant, the, uh, the more you will know your plant. No, because I separate by, by size. I'm not even really bothered by PM. PM is very, very small and float. My, my smaller bag is 45. PM is so much, much, much smaller than, uh, than 45. And I use a lot of water. If I know that there is PM, I put a lot less material in my water. I use a lot more water and I wash a lot more in my bag. And I, uh, I have never seen come back in tests. So bugs like uh, uh, caterpillar poop and stuff like that, it floats and it's much bigger. That stay in my 190 and my 160. It never come in, my, uh, in a good one. You, you are limited in at 160, your uh, plant contaminants are going to be, there is some that are going to be the same size as the triconid. And when you go down 15 and 25, it's the same. It's very difficult to have totally clean because it, you cannot separate by size anymore. You have to separate by weight. Contaminants are going to be much lighter than the resin head. I have never felt greasy before. Have you, Swami? I, it's like the first time I, I felt greasy, it's here. And I, I don't really know what it is. But yeah, definitely those, you don't even want to start with it. I, uh, that's not going to do it. You, uh, you want that, uh, that stickiness. It, when it, it's difficult to be able to produce in an environment where they don't give you the time to have the time to go through that whole cycle of a machine drying so that you can see actually what it is. So I shortcut that, I, I do a little bit of dry sieve and the little resin I, uh, I collect, it, it has to melt in my hand. And it, you put a little bit in a, in a palm of your hand, you put your, uh, your thumb over it, you close your hand. 
a few seconds. When you open, your thumb would be, you should be sticking. That's the greatest quality. The more pressure, the more heat you have to apply to make a, to melt it together, the lower the quality. So by doing that, I, I can judge pretty fast and pretty accurately if it's going to be something I'm interested or not, that at least gets that level of ripeness that uh, is worth uh, checking up. If it doesn't press, I don't touch. If when I touch the flower, it's greasy, I, uh, I cannot play around with it. But I don't know from what is that greasiness. I, uh, like I was saying, you, uh, all your spraying on a plant, that only the big difference with the something done at the plant that is that could really make a difference in uh, in resin. I I had never seen resin nucleating before. And charas should nucleate. It's pretty. There is. It's pretty uh, humid. There is a lot of manipulation and stuff. I had never seen like this here. It happened for nothing. <coughs> and th uh, there is. Uh, that's why. But at the same times, every touch, ev every strain that I touch, is I go. I'm going to school. And. The, the learning course, there is so much diversity that as much as I can recognize, technically speaking, there is as much difference in the resin that there is between flower. That means that an indica flower and a, what we call sativa flower, they are as different in their appearance. Resin is as different in characteristic and uh, sickness of membrane and, uh, and all that. So you can recognize which tendency it uh, it goes. You can you could re you can recognize strain. You can sometimes even recognize uh, a line in a in a strain. As there is a Paki seventy eight here that is pretty amazing that I, I I could recognize in that I guess in two strain, and you could. You could literally recognize strain through the resin if you work long enough with it, quoi, basically. And that's something that reflects a lot into all the, the products that, uh, that we put on the market. He, when when Swami grow Minjin genetic, it doesn't taste the same than when Minjin grow his genetic at home. There is there is that profile of the plant that you recognize, and behind it, 
there is a place and the dude. It's like I, uh, I, I know the taste of Swabi. <laughs> It's, it, I, I, I have not, it's like it would be, you would have to experience the same genetic into different places to be able to, yeah. But yes, it will be, for sure. For sure, that's, that's you have so many microclimates here, the soil varies a lot from, uh, from places to places. You, you have like microclimate by, uh, by the hundred, yeah, that's one of the, of what makes the Emerald Triangle so special, it's not that it's made for cannabis, it's made for growing anything. You know what I mean? Because you have all those microclimates, you have an Indian summer, you bloody have it all here. And it's, uh, you, can't, you can't duplicate it. And we are at a stage where there is two sides here in California. There is the side that want you dead, and there is a green rusher that put their money on your side. Those people have been putting hundreds of fucking million of dollars betting, gambling on you. They are the only ones that believe on you. So there be maybe like vultures and their, uh, they drain the blood and they live on you but because you let them do it. When it's easy to fuck with one farmer, left and right, and to get bossy, but when you are 101% dependent on those people, it's not fucking very smart. And if you have all those people that talk together and you fuck with one, you fuck with 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 of them. You know what I mean? It's like because you don't understand. <coughs> I don't know. Me, I'm French. Like the dealer is like, it's the dude you can wait fucking a week and you say thank you. Because that's <laughs> it. He's the dude. You are not even the dealer. You're the guy who, who grows the plants. There is nobody before you. Okay? You rule. And on top of it, you grow fire. So it's like those people, they are 100% dependent on you, and, but you have to work with them. Now it's just a show of respect. As long as you let them do it to you, they're gonna do it. If you start saying, okay, can we talk now? Because you're losing money, we're not making money, it's a fucking mess, it would be time really to organize uh, ourselves. Uh, there is, you have the potential not to really blackmail them, but it's like, you know, I, uh, Gorilla style with the boss, la, 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 you need to reach that level where uh, you'd, you'd need me 101%. How many distribution company and stuff there is in, uh, in North Carolina? There is quite a few of them. So if you really want to work, not with me, with all me and all my body, you have to treat us well. And if you don't, if you move a finger and one of us is not happy, well, we're gonna go and talk to the next, uh, to, to the next. You have that much power, but you don't use it. And they're all fucking 
dependent on you. I'm not sure I answer the question. <laughs> It's like a, a, anything that reads that level of melt, it's because the farmer knows his flower so well that he harvested in that three-day maximum window. And it's not by, uh, it's really by looking at the flower here, it's, it's a pleasure that I don't have to really uh, insist of that, but for people who grow indoor, everything, every literature, everywhere, even scientists invent Uh, machine to be able to calculate the different level of amberness on a, of the resinate. Man, fuck, it's not even the same metabolism. It's common, you're a scientist. Like, seriously, like, uh, with that type of misinformation, we are not going to go really well. And then people are lost. It's like, but, wh but what do you see? What do you look at the flower? The bracts, uh, what it is? It's like, man. Isn't it what you're growing or it's like you're looking only at the tricon every day with a magnifying glass and you never look at your flower? Because I thought in America you didn't know about resin and you were growing flower. So it's like, I don't get it. It's like, or you grow flower or you go resin, but then it's not the same. Then it's, uh, it's really hardcore. You don't sell flower. It's, uh, it's not the same game. Oh, but no. So look at your flower. And it's because it's so ingrained into every book, everywhere, everything, that it's the coloring of the resinette that defines the ripeness. It's, it's very difficult to explain to the people that, I mean, if you grow tomato or if you grow anything, you're looking at that specific part of the plant that you're actually growing. You don't look at an, a defensive system that protects the plant from insects and stuff like that. It's like you wouldn't do it with any other plant than cannabis because there is nobody who checks the science behind anything. It's like it's on YouTube, such and such say so, it's all cool. I don't know, I'm French, we, we question everything, always, <laughs> automatic. <laughs> For the moment, ice water, because that's what I do. It's like you, it's that evolution in a game where I can totally not worry to have the cleanliness to enter into the, into the equation. 
and it's all about being able to capture those dimension of uh, of ripeness that give me the uh, the mail to be able to get to the source now my problem it's what's going on every time i get that close to know about quality every time there is something that i really don't understand and uh, it's again there in the background it's like i uh, i need to be able to define what's going on in those last two weeks that nobody seems to know much about it to uh, to be better I, I what i do and i'm not sure if it's gonna make me better to uh, make better ash per se but it's trying to uh, the ability to judge to be able to know more about what i'm gonna get by looking at it hopefully because it's like you know knowing what you collect uh, uh, not uh, just until it's all you need to break that membrane to know how much is inside before that you don't know i mean when you when it's dry and it's super light you know that it's not going to be good you uh, you want some weight in uh, in that resin it's it's all on you guys it's that three days window it's not a question of genetic some will give you more ratio and stuff but like that quality quality it's on the shoulder of the farmer for any type of agricultural product well it's like that's why your name and where it's grown is so important for me it's part of my culture but that for you it's it's using a word recognition that you own okay and you don't ask for it and then the people you work with doesn't matter what they make ash extract uh, vpen edible whatever they do if they tell everybody that what they're doing their product with come from the emerald triangle personally uh, i would look at it just because i know it comes from you guys and the world over would so on one side you don't ask for credit and on the other side they don't understand how much valuable it would be to co-brand with you and promote the origin of the product like every agricultural product people people start to be educated and they want to know where it comes from and this give value to the finished product so in that line it's broken because you don't connect those dots on uh, on either side We're like by not uh, understanding it or not really knowing the potential that it can bring on uh, on both sides and that's a big loss it's valuable when you say emerald triangle it's like guys it's like everybody want to uh, to smoke your stuff except the people in california it's funny huh? <laughs> I use a freeze dryer. Yeah, it's like it's like freezing in space. It's like it's unreal. But micro. So when when you when you collect those resin, the name of the game it's not breaking the the, the membrane. 
everything is behind that membrane. When you microplane, it's the best tech to dry because you can make a super fine uh, uh, material that you can spread really well, it dry fast, but those sharp edges, they destroy a lot of membrane. That's why it smells so strong. That's why you need to keep it in a freezer because it's all broken, it, you lose. Only a freezer is gonna preserve it. When uh, you freeze in a, in a freeze dryer, you freeze into space and in space, you can boil ice by playing with a vacuum. And by playing really well, you can make ice neither solid, liquid, or gas. The machine gi gives you the ability to work just under that level. You can transform ice into gas that stick to the, to the, sh the wall of the machine and become ice. When you can really manipulate well, you save 97 to 98% of all the compounds that are before drying. It's pretty, there is nothing that really beat it. It's in space, there is no oxygen, there is no light, there is the stuff come like white, fluffy. I leave it in, in my, normally I don't touch it because it comes from space. I leave it in my uh, drying room, 55, 35% humidity. I like the really good resin, I come back in, uh, in the morning, it's a patty uh, solidified, like all melted together. Room temperature, no pressure, nothing. Like resin naturally is, has a tendency to stick together. That's what nature wants the, the, the resin to do, to protect itself and last. When you keep it separated in the fridge, you literally work against nature. Not that it's, not that it's bad per se, because what you have is something different that is tasty and stuff, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty much against nature to want to, uh, to preserve resin head like that, basically. No, because when you do your setting and if your water smell, you're not there. You need to be able to have that water basically odorless. Then you know that your, uh, your, uh, your setting is, uh, is appropriate. Yeah, first you look for dry. When you have your patty really dry and you have to look at it straight when you put them off the freezer, you break them in two if there is any line of coloring in the middle, there is some retainment of, uh, of water. And uh, then it all depends what, uh, how you want to, uh, to use it. If you want to keep it loose or, and then most people grind them or you, uh, for me, I make a patty, but it's like I have never tested how much water is left inside. Because they all tell you, uh, 
freeze-drying, it's sublimation. It's not only sublimation. It's another, there is something called desorption. Because there is not only water that became ice, there is some water that remain water that stay attached to the molecule. So it's like if you do only that one process, it's never going to be perfect. You, you need to, to go to do another cycle of after your sublimation with five degrees more uh, higher temperature, one third of half of the time. That's the whole process together, man. To find out that, it took me a minute, and I fucked up some, uh, a bunch of batch be, uh, because of it. So when you know it's totally dry and your water smell, now you know that you get that dryness, but you need to, uh, to keep the terp. You put down the temperature and you bring more time. You see your water at that next stage. If the, normally you have a, 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 like a, a difference in, uh, in terp in, uh, in the water. And slowly, slowly you get until your water is basically odorless. Then you know that. Uh, if you go to my website, uh, the last on the article page of the website, the last five, now I'm going to post the sixth one, all those articles are the science behind all the tech I do, three articles, and then the workshop, but written down. For people who don't like, like me, who don't like to look at something, they need to read. But I, never, I could never be happy about the science behind as a video. And as much as the video are instructive, if you don't understand why I do what I do, you, uh, you're not going to be able to bring it further. You need to understand that well, why I do stuff so that there is a sense behind the methodology and this is for you to, to manipulate and, uh, and make better. But if you don't have that, it's like, yeah, you're going to be able to make good stuff, but you, uh, you're not going to be able to fine tune in to, to you and, uh, because you don't get the pr that principle be behind it. It's, it's like learning the science behind the tricon changed everything for me. When I came after 18 years of making ash, I was super good because I could even stick it on my hand, but I was totally ignorant. I had never seen a tricon. I didn't even know it was a tricon. It, I call that pollen. Uh, I, had, I didn't know what was a cannabinoid. So I learned, I teach myself what was a tricon and what tricon are in a plant kingdom. Then I wanted to know how the cannabinoids are formed inside that tricon. And then I, uh, I wanted to know how the cannabinoids make, uh, form each other. And uh, now it's like uh, the level of what I do, it's due to that understanding of the product I work with. I'm a, I'm a craftsman. The product is defining the, even the tool I, I use. So the more I know about my, uh, my product, the, the better I can, uh, I can manipulate it. All my knowledge in producing country, I learned the tool, 
and I had no clue. <laughs> with the product, it's like it's very much like a, a blacksmith. You give him a super great forge, but if he doesn't know the the property of every metal that he's gonna work with, he's gonna be able to make good stuff, but he's not gonna be never be able to reach that that level where you can master it and make something really something out of it when you control it. You know what I mean? I don't know how much time I have. I have no bloody idea what time it is. <laughs> <laughs>